the single difference, most obvious one between the screen technology and everything else, is that it's much less, the screen technology is much less dependent on imagination. So when you read a book, or when you have a story read to you as a kid, or when you make up a game and you're playing outside, you're using your imagination. Or if you're just sitting quietly thinking, you're thinking about the past and the future and what you want to do and so on. It's very subjective, whereas a screen is driving your consciousness. That is to say, it's actually from moment to moment um, giving you something to focus on rather than you, you having it. And it's, So you're the passive recipient of um, your consciousness. You're not internally generating it. And I think that's very important for developing a sense of confidence and a sense of identity, which is why I suspect many young people nowadays have a much more fragile sense of identity that needs reassurance from Facebook and from all these Snapchats and you know, endless downloading and so on. I think that as a society, people who are over-dieting on that kind of world are in a bit of a problem because on the one hand, they want to be special, they want celebrity in a way that previous generations didn't even think about celebrity um, because it's global and so on. You want, to be, you want to be famous and different and special. At the same time, you want to conform. Now, those two things obviously are self-contradictory. You can't have both. And I think that accounts for a lot of the anxiety and depression we're seeing nowadays between people, that, with young people especially, that you definitely want to be special, you want to be a unique, wonderful identity, but at the same time you want everyone to like you and you want to agree with everyone. And, so, and I think that is one of the biggest differences. Well, we know that people don't like being alone, yeah? and we know that loneliness is bad for the health, for obvious reasons that nature would want to do that, because we need to reproduce and so on. So we love talking about ourselves. And there's a lovely study um, from Harvard where they gave people a choice, having done well on a task. They could either have monetary reward or they could talk about themselves for half an hour. And they chose to talk about themselves for half an hour rather than have money. So if anyone wants a pay rise, you know, do they just say, talk about yourself for half an hour? So we know that it is a natural tendency in humans to talk about yourself, yeah? Now, up until now, what's happened is that nature has involved body language which is the handbrake on that. So you're only going to talk about yourself to someone who's nodding and smiling at you. If they are leaning away from you with their arms folded and their eyes averted, then you're not going to, normally, uh, feel it that easy to talk to them. Now, that constraint doesn't exist on social media. So there you are, following your natural evolutionary mandate to talk about yourself, on and on. And so what happens is you're then very vulnerable to bullying and attacks and negativity, which makes you feel devastated and lonely and insecure, and all those psychiatric problems start to present, what do you do? You fabricate a new person that's not you, it's not the real you. So this false person has got endless boyfriends and girlfriends, is wonderfully looking, you know, is always having a marvelous time, is always at parties. Meanwhile, the real you, the real you withers because it's got no normal outlet. So that I see as one of the problems. And it does raise the question of who is the real you and what is the real you. But again, something I find indicative of this fragility is the rise and rise of tattoos, which, of course, as a, as a technology, whatever you want to call it, has been around forever. Why now are they so mainstream when you know, sailors 150 years ago had tattoos, I think? Yeah. So why now? And I think it's because it's the one thing in life that's permanent by definition. It's the one thing that's yours. It's stuck on your body. And I, I find that, if that is the case, rather sad that people see tattoos as important or attractive. Not everyone, but because they, they need to have a permanent sense of their own identity rather than it being in their head. We start off wanting new experiences, and that's what a baby does and a child does and an animal does. Interestingly enough, we pay money to try and go back there with wine, women and song and drugs and sex and rock and roll, where you are not self-conscious, where you are abandoned, where you're having a sensational time. So that's the default of 
most brains and most animals, and that, of course, aids reproduction and feeding and so on. Um, but for humans, as you grow, the brain becomes more sophisticated. So we have a way of liberating ourselves from that, from the present moment. And that's an area of the brain called the prefrontal cortex. It's not a center for this or that. It's a notion I don't like. But nonetheless, as it grows, and it only grows in teenage years, it's only fully operational in the early 20s, it frees you up from that, rightly or wrongly, cursing or bless, I don't know. But it, it enables you to think abstract thoughts, to plan ahead, to remember the past, to remember episodes, and therefore to have a notion of identity. And I think the whole trick is to get the balance right between having a sensational time from time to time and at the same time having a strong sense of who you are. Now, an environment that favors the former, such as video games or the screen world, may therefore be neglecting the growth of the very important idea of getting a confident sense of identity. And for people who are surrounded by these, the screens and these, these sensations, what would you say is the best way to try and limit the effects of that on uh, your mental health, yeah. mental well-being? Well, I think there's three really simple things that don't in any way encroach on the individual's culture or gender or age or anything. It's three really simple things. One is just to get outside from time to time and engage all five senses, that smell things and touch things as well as see and hear them and taste things, you know. So engaging with the outside world, which incidentally will offset the obesity crisis. We all know the terrible time bomb of, of high BMIs. So to get out... And also you learn actions have consequences, which you don't in the video world. You know, you learn... if you hit someone, they fall down, and they're then going to hit you, and it hurts. That's what you learn, whereas you don't learn that playing video games. So to get outside and burn up all those calories, um, to eat together, a really it's so sad that we even have to flag that, because human beings have always eat together. Only now are they sort of feeding. It's not eating anymore, it's feeding. You know, you're just sort of feeding like a hamster in this little cage. Very sad. Because you bond together when you eat. I'm not an anthropologist, but I'm aware that that's been ritualized. I mean, if you go out on a date with someone, 95% of dates are for a meal or something will be offered. People come to your house, what do you do? You offer them food and drink. Yeah. It's a way of bonding with someone as you eat and talk and so on. And the third is stories. I emphasize the notion of stories and how important they are to the human psyche to have a beginning, a middle, and an end, again, to free you up from the present. And of course, reading a story takes you to other eras and you see the world through other people's eyes. Can you imagine Jane Austen as a video game? You can't because books and stories emphasize how people see the world, what they think about the world, what they think about other people. It's not just shooting or um, sex, you know, it's, or action. It's actually what goes on inside. And it enables you, that sort of stories and books, and there's a wonderful way of seeing inside someone else's mind and how see, someone else sees the world. In different so, and if you're a kid and you can't read, having stories read to you by your mum or your dad, or anyone, is the loveliest thing because you're encouraging attention span and... It's always fascinated me. People say the book is always better than the film and how when you read, somehow the characters have more credibility. You, can't, you don't know what they look like, but they're very real. And is there an observable difference when people take that advice? Really, we are in the middle of the worst experiment ever, the most uncontrolled experiment in that, think about Facebook, only came on stream about 2007, 2006. So eight years ago, no, 10 years ago, sorry, 10 years ago, which means people who are immersed in that culture um, from a small age, they're probably only about 15 now. And so they haven't, they've got, not married yet, they haven't gone to university yet, they're not in the workforce yet, they're certainly not running the country yet. So what is it going to be like when they do? And what kind of relationships are they going to have? And I think we need to really start thinking about that right now because it's too important for everyone, for all generations, to just say, well, let's see what happens.
And do you personally find it easy to take your own advice? Do you find that oh. the internet and the, the yeah. world outside impacting on you? Well, well, me personally, it's easy because I'm um, a digital immigrant, not a digital native. I mean, as far as born, I'm a baby boomer. So um, I love that. What's interesting, I play squash a lot. And what I find really interesting there is however tired, hungover, depressed, busy I am, I know that as soon as I play, by the time I finish, 45 minutes, I feel better. Not brilliant, but always better than I did when I started. And I said to the guy I play with, if only you could give people this feeling and say, look, if you, play, if you exercise, this is what you'll feel like. You know, if you could give them a pill or something, just so they know. Because it doesn't solve problems, but you're across it, and you feel confident, and you walk, up, you walk taller, you know, and you just feel you can control things. And it's a, so, yes, physical exercise for me is very important. I love playing squash especially. And yeah. the, the practice of mindfulness and well-being that people have talked about, yeah. does that work for you? Is there a, is there a scientific I, basis to thinking more deeply as a, as a practice? I, certainly, I, mean, I haven't done it formally. Where I work, there's a 10-minute walk from the station to the lab and that's through sort of a little lane and things and you see the rabbits and you see the birds and you see the change of the seasons and it is nice to just pause and to you know just live taking that in